guys here. Welcome to Larry Reedy's America. Uh, today, we are starting with a brand new segment. And this is the segment is going to be a veteran's audio journal. Uh, a lot of people read about things and as far as wars go, Army, Navy, Marines, and such. But uh, when the chips are down, it, it's the military that takes care of things. And just to give you, I mean, wars are bad news, but this ultimate sacrifice in uh, World War II, uh, we lost 405,000 Americans. The Civil War, which should have never happened, we lost 655,000 Americans. And if we don't get rid of some of the idiots in Washington, uh, you know, it it's, doesn't look good. I mean, and both sides, you got some pawn scum up there, and you have to vote them out. So anyway, the, uh, the great wars that really changed America, the Revolutionary War with uh, General George Washington taking farmers and shopkeepers and Make, making soldiers out of them. And, I mean, you know, he, they saved the country. In World War II, the greatest generation were service people, the men and women that stayed behind, building machinery in the factories to carry on the war. I mean, the second generation saved the world. So, anyway, we're going to start today. And, by the way, Everyone that goes into the military, no matter what their MOS is, which is uh, military operating specialties, uh, you're trained to be an infantryman in basic training. So uh, I was an MP, but that, that was, you know, that's my primary. But if war came, I could be thrown into the infantry, somebody working as a desk clerk, the same thing. So today, it's kind of fitting. Uh, our guest today, our first guest, is Walt Enneking. And uh, Walt was actually my first podcast, real podcast. I gave an introduction. Walt was on my podcast, 9-19-22. So if you want more of Walt's history than the military... I suggest you go to LarryReedy.net, hit listen, and scroll down till you come to episode two and listen to that. It's very interesting. Walt has an interesting career, and I think you'd be happy. So anyway, without further ado, hey, Walt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. I forgot I was your first one. I forgot oh, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. first one. So it, it's... Uh, <clears throat> We had some fun on that one, and I I think uh, this will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, when when was your th first thought? What what age about joining the military? Uh, I was pretty young. I I don't know, maybe five or six. Oh, really? Uh, I mean, I I feel like I was all about it from the time I was little. I grew up wow. watching war movies with my dad, and yeah. <clears throat> sorry, he'd um. I grew up like a groundhog hunting and stuff a lot with my dad. So okay. every time we went groundhog hunting, it was like a little uh, sniper operation, you know? <laughs> like, okay. So yeah. did, did you go in right after high school? I did. Okay. Yeah. When when you you joined the Army? M Marine Corps. Oh, Marine. I'm sorry. Marine, yeah, that's, that's right. right. You're Marine. I'll correct you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got Army on my head. That's okay. <laughs> so, okay. So when you joined the Marines right out of high school, uh, what kind of a person were you in high school? Uh, I feel like looking looking back, I don't. I wouldn't answer this the same way if you'd asked me then. But I was. I think I was a wild ass. 
That was pretty wild. Join the club. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so... I, I didn't get into a lot of trouble. You know, I got... I probably got away with more than I got in trouble with, but, yeah, yeah I, the Marine Corps did me some good. Yeah. Yes. So, when you, where did you do your basic? I They gave me a choice. Uh, they asked me, be, I guess because we're right on the line, uh, between whether you go to Paris Island, uh, South Carolina, or San Diego, California, um... They gave me the choice, so I was like, oh, "Send me to California." Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no swamps in California. It sounded nicer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like if this was gonna suck, at least let's have some good weather. Okay, Marine basic training so was eight weeks or longer. Thirteen, thirteen, 13 weeks. weeks. Yeah. Okay. And train as an infantryman. Uh, in in basic training, you, you they just you just become a marine. You don't yeah. get your occupational specialty until you graduate basic training. Okay. Um, and then when you when you enlist in the Marine Corps, that's that's when you kind of pick. Um, okay. Now, depending on operational needs at the time, they may they may change that. You know, they'd be like, okay, well, you signed up for this, but we really need you over here. So that's what you're gonna do. Yeah, but you're basically you're trained to be a fighter. Trained to, and you basically are. Trained infantry. Every every Marine yeah. is brought up the same way. Right. Yeah. Right. It's all combat right. or, oriented. Yeah. Yeah. So. What was your operating specialty? I was a machine gunner. Machine gunner. Yeah. So okay. when I told them I wanted to be infantry, they're like, no problem. Yeah. We, 30, we need lots of cal, 50. All of them. All um, of them. Yeah. We had a, <clears throat> we trained on the uh, M240, uh, which is the predecessor to the M60. So that fires a 308 or mm -hmm. sub 62 by 51. Is that mm -hmm. right? And uh, we had the 50 cal, which has been around a long time. Yes. Um, my first 50 cal issued to me was from 1941 and it still had the wooden, wooden spade handles on it, spade grips on it. And yeah. it was a great, great weapon. I hope they're not still using that today. Are they? If it works, don't get rid of it. Yeah. yeah that, that thing ran like a champ. Um, and then I had the, uh, the Mark 19, uh, 40 millimeter belt fed grenade launcher. Mm -hmm. So it was a fully automatic grenade launcher. You could tear a house down with yeah. that thing. So on your, uh, when you went to your advanced uh, or your new job, was it eight weeks? Um, that's a good question. I I feel like it was six or eight weeks. Six or eight it eight, was yeah. the School of Infantry. So you, you spend part of your time there um, learning how to be an infantryman, you know, above just yeah. a, a rifleman, which you get basic marksmanship and basic combat stuff in boot yeah. camp. But they really polish you uh, yeah. to become a solid infantrymen in the school of infantry so there you do your all your patrolling all your all the combat related stuff alongside learning everything uh, that you need to know about machine guns and how to employ them properly in a in a machine yeah. gun team yeah because when i was in the army it was eight weeks basic and then they called it advanced basic mp school was eight weeks sure so, yeah yeah but i think the marines are really they're just trained better i it depends probably um i know in time of war, which I, I went through that training in 2004, and so the war in Iraq was still developing. You know, it was it was starting to get pretty bad. Afghanistan too, and um, so we had we had good combat leadership. We had our instructors there at the School of Infantry were all, to my recollection, uh, combat veterans mm -hmm. already. So they were able to take their knowledge and bring it back to the School of Infantry and really give us up-to-date tools um, as far as as far as the training went. Um, so I don't know. I feel like I talked yeah. in a circle on that. Yeah. But so anyway, so how long were you in the states before you went overseas? Um, my first tour was early two thousand or middle of two thousand five. So. I graduated boot camp 04. Um, I think I got out of the School of Infantry in early 2005. By the time I got to my unit, I think we had about a five or six month workup to our first deployment. So I think maybe six or seven months, okay. something like that. And then uh, your first deployment was where? Uh, nor a small, weird little camp called Camp Ashraf, north of Baghdad. North of Baghdad. Um, yeah, and that was kind of an interesting place. It was a uh, it was a prison camp for ex Iranian uh, nationals who were on the terrorist watch list. They 
sold uh, Iranian secrets to the U.S. government, apparently, in exchange for asylum, um, even though they were technically terrorist. I can't remember the name of their organization. It was called the MEK. Uh, I can't remember what that stood for. But yeah, so they, uh, America's like, well, we don't want you over here and nobody else in the world wants you. So we'll set up a place in Iraq, which we're currently occupying and we'll quote unquote protect you. So, I mean, they just, they leaving a good life instead of, you know, I mean, they weren't in cells or anything. They just hit a little there were Reporters. there were two uh, portions of their population, like the the really bad guys who were active terrorists and had had done things. They were in a prison camp. Okay, yeah, where they were twenty four seven guarded. Like it was, they treated it just like a prison. Um, the ones who, I guess, weren't dangerous. They were just allowed in like general population. They had like their own town. Mm-hmm. on this old uh, Saddam compound, which was basically, you know, fenced, I think, like in two miles in every direction. It was a pretty big wow. plot of land wow. that we had control yeah. of there. Yeah. And they they didn't leave. They never left the compound, but they were kind of allowed to just do whatever. So when we left the gate, the first thing that we would drive through is, like, their little city. So we would see Iranians before we encountered Iraqis. Anytime we went on a patrol, it was kind wow. of it's kind of strange. You're yeah. always wondering, like, can we trust these guys? Like, every you feel like everybody's trying to kill. Probably them. not. Probably not. <laughs> so, uh, was there ever any attack on the compound? Yeah, yeah. There were there were mortar strikes. There were drive-bys. Nothing big. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing. You know, truly alarming. Where they're like actually trying to overrun the base. I, we we kept a pretty heavy presence um and i think most of the fighting was concentrated around uh fallujah ramadi and baghdad um all the all the bigger cities Mm -hmm. we we were kind of off the beaten path we had our we had our encounters Mm -hmm. but nothing that you'd write a book about Mm -hmm. you know what i mean just just sporadic incidents that you might not have anything happen for two months yeah but how long were you uh, stationed there? I think that was an eight-month deployment. Eight months. Yeah. Then did you come back to the States, or did you were you deployed in another area? So towards the end of that deployment, there was another mission that came down to our unit um, that they were taking volunteers for. Um, they The way it was explained to me was they had a list of guys that they had already pre-selected that could do this mission. And then from those guys, they asked them if they wanted to do it. So I was on that list and it was a 13 month deployment to Fallujah providing uh, personal security detail to the commanding generals of Al Anbar province. Okay. Fallujah's still yeah. in Iraq. Yeah. We're still in Iraq. Okay. okay. Yeah. So before, before I'm even home yet, I'm already looking down the barrel of this 13 month deployment. And, um, I said, I said, yeah. I was like, well, that's that's what I'm here to do. I don't, I don't think I'm going to make a career out of this. You know, I got basically four years to do what I want to do, mm-hmm. unless I something comes along the line that changes my mind. Mm-hmm. But at that time, so what was what was your assignment in Fallujah? In Fallujah, yeah, uh, to to protect protect the the generals. Basically, we were like a bodyguard detail. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we had a we had an advanced team. Uh, we had a, a recon team and we had basically like the, the actual detail itself. And we had three teams that we all kind of took turns providing those capabilities depending on the mission. Okay. Um, we had three generals that we were assigned to protect and that of course also encompassed like any VIPs that came to visit, whether it was, uh, the sec def or, um, even even like celebrities, you know, like well, basically anytime, anytime anybody came to town, they're like, well, the general's boys will, well, they'll take care of it. Tell me about your fun celebrity, which I already know. About. Uh, is Chuck Norris who you're looking for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chuck, Chuck came on a USO tour mm-hmm. and, um, when he came to Fallujah, they need, he needed a, a team, which he kind of, I think he had a few guys with him, but he, uh, they, they needed like a, a bigger team if he was going to go out and visit any of the camps or stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we got to meet Chuck and yeah. uh, super nice guy. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 See, he, uh, 
uh, you know, he's still in pretty good shape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how old is he now? He's like 77. Oh, no. Is he up there? He's 81, I think. Is he really? I think somewhere around there. And uh, I feel like he was pretty old when he came to Fallujah. And that was, yeah. of course, you know, I'm like 21 years old. So if, he, if you're in your 60s, yeah. that's... Man, and I, I, I watched him when he was fighting, you know, competitively. Yeah. yeah. And there, there wasn't any better. Yeah. Then, he, uh, he was... He was promoting uh, a new martial arts uh, sport when mm-hmm. he was in Fallujah. He was like actively, I think, trying to recruit guys to like, hey, when you when you get home, look us up and, yeah. and come fight in our organization. You know, it's funny. Uh, my uh, my one grandson, he became an adult black belt in karate at mm-hmm. sixteen. Oh yeah. And in order to get that belt, he had a they had fights, you know, I mean, actual, you know, all kind of, you know, hitting people in the head and all kind of uh, protection. But he had to fight all the black belts in one one little session lasted about an hour and a half with a little break. They were exhausted. All, they were all black belts. And uh, the last one we fought was the... <clears throat> guy that ran the dojo and he's international known and everything and uh, he said i gotta go one in on him and i after the after his fight and i said yeah you're lucky about super badass didn't retaliate because you'd be through a wall because this guy was really good yeah but anyway so <laughs> after uh you were how long that Fallujah doing that detail. That that was over a year. That oh you yeah. said thirteen yeah. months. Okay. We we got there. We did our. We had to do a lot of training uh, before we were. We had to get certified in uh, executive protection, um, evasive driving. We they sent us to a special school where we learned how to do um, a lot of things. It was, it was great training. Yeah. I mean, I I would have never been afforded that opportunity otherwise. Yeah, and did you have any incidents? In uh, 13 months. Yeah, um, but being that, you know, your your primary is these pretty high-level guys, like, you go to pretty great lengths to make sure. Um, They're out of the line of fire. <laughs> right, yeah, so we we were kind of, like, a, by proxy protected a little bit better than we would have normally been, like, a, just a basic infantry unit. Mm-hmm. You know, generally, any time that we did a, an escort for the generals, we had... We had a committed air support. Um, we had three cordons of security, you know, with um, tertiary units like a RCT-6 regional combat team um, was usually available to kind of not provide overwatch, but just just be there, mm-hmm. you know, in case we, we got into trouble. So they, they took pretty good care to make sure that the, the generals didn't get ambushed. And So after your 13-month deployment, so you've been in a little over two years in the service. That's probably about right. Yeah. Okay. Well, by the by the end of that deployment, I had about uh, I think I had about five months left on my contract. Oh, that was it. Five yeah. months. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So from the time you joined until the end of the deployment, how did your personality change? I grew up a lot. You think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You. Well, you don't know what to expect. You know, my, I remember flying into Iraq the first time and man, you just, you don't know what you're in for. Like you, you come in at night, you're on a helicopter and you see the lights of the, of the airstrip and whatever, and you're coming down and you're just, you know, it was, it was kind of funny that like we landed under fire. So we, when we got in, we had to run off the helicopters and like dive into these bunkers because mortar fire was like actively coming down as we were landing. So in my mind, I'm like, this is how it's going to be yeah. for the next yeah. however long. And uh, obviously, you know, it turned out to it's not going to be crazy every day. Yeah. Um, so but we were we were kind of initiated that way. And like from then on out, it's like you. You take everything a lot more seriously, mm-hmm. you know, like all the all the games and all the uh like any, if you have any kind of lax days, attitude, that's going to be forced out of you real quick because you're going to find out that if you're not operating at a very high level and you're not keeping, you know, yourself and your equipment, uh, prepared and ready, 
you're going to get caught off guard mm-hmm. and you're going to pay for that. So with five months left, what did you do for the last five months? Basically nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, yeah, <laughs> basically. So they, we, uh, my unit was called anti-terrorism battalion and they, uh, disbanded that battalion in the middle of our Fallujah deployment. And basically the guys that were staying in the way I understand it, they absorbed them into MARSOC, which is Marine Corps Special Operations Command. And, uh, and the guys that weren't reenlisting, they sent them to this, uh, new unit that, that it, 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 excuse me, it had existed for a long time. Uh, two nine, um, have you ever heard of no. two nine? They, uh, they had a storied history in Vietnam. Okay. And, uh, I believe they called him hell in a helmet. Um, or they might've been the walking dead back then. I'd have to do some reading on that. They just stood this new unit up and basically used it as kind of just a holding area for the guys who weren't reenlisting. So they sent us to two nine. They had no combat experience at all. Um, and had I reenlisted, I probably would have ended up staying with them unless I chose a different MOS or tried to lap move or just asked to do something else. Did you think about reenlisting at all? Uh, only briefly. Um, and I'll tell you what, the, uh, the reenlistment benefits were huge. They, they really needed explosive ordnance disposal guys. Um, so we had a couple guys from our unit um, reenlist to go EOD, and they were paying these guys $80,000. Maybe it was sixty. It was a lot of money, yeah. lump sum, tax-free. Tax-free, yeah. 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 And um, I had a few friends that did that. You know, and then, uh, like, after we got back, they'd show up, like, brand new trucks, new motorcycles. Like, that money was gone immediately, you know. I was like, okay, like, I don't know, another another four years doing this and just rolling the dice every time yeah. you deploy. And uh, and you see, you know, when you're over there, you're like, the, the, only, the only change I saw was, like, when the, remember the surge, like the troop surge? Yes. That kicked in in about 2007. So the first, the first half of my deployment in Fallujah, we were losing a Marine every day. A Marine was getting killed every single day on average, sometimes more, um, to sniper fire, IEDs, car bombs, uh, you know, quick ambushes. When the troop surge hit, there was just so many people there that I think just, you know, the, the bad guys just couldn't operate like they were used to doing, like they were kind of getting foiled at every turn. So they, they kind of, I feel like they just kind of backed off a little bit. It's like, let's just let them think that everything's cool and maybe they'll send some of these guys home. I feel like that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the middle of 2007, it had, it had calmed down uh, quite a bit. Why did I bring that up? Do you remember what, what I thought well, I had a reason about, about reenlisting? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so I, I just felt like it's like, well, whether I go back, whether I go to Afghanistan on the next tour, or I go back to Iraq, like how long is this war going to go on for? Like I, mm-hmm. you just didn't see too much being done. Like we're, we're trying to, we're trying to get some infrastructure together. We're trying to stand up the government. Um, part of the job that we did while we were in Fallujah was train Iraqi military and police. And what, I don't want to swear on your show, but, uh, okay. it was a shit show. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was an absolute shit show yeah. that these, these guys were, um, it is, it is no wonder that we were not able to effectively reestablish their police and military. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's some good, good, good guys in the bunch, but well, you know, it, you just, we just, I just didn't see where this was going. And I was like, if I'm going to get killed over here, it's like, yeah. I don't, well, that's because of Washington. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, and back when Barry Goldwater was running for office during the Vietnam war, he, he made a statement scared the hell out of everybody. And that's why I wasn't elected, but he made the statement. He said, if I'm elected president, he said, I'm going to tell him Hanoi either surrender or I'm going to turn it into a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he would have. I mean, he just, uh, 
you know, military guy, super conservative. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think I think we all we all know now that if you're if you're going to go to war, if you're going to get involved in a conflict, you need an exit strategy, and the best exit strategy is to win. win. That's right. right. Yeah. And Vietnam was horrific because of that. They, yeah. they they never had any they they never had any thoughts of winning that war. I don't know that they even could if they wanted to. Unless, unless it's, well, it's tough. I think we we could have, but you would have had to really like throw everything you got at it, and and it would have killed a lot of innocent people. That's always a bright product yeah, of it's, war. Yeah, yeah. It's collateral damage. Yeah, yeah. That's what not to get political or topical, but you know, I feel like that's what we're seeing and happen in Israel right now. Is oh. like people people forget that like no, this is what war looks like. It it war by war is inherently a humanitarian crisis that yep. just comes with the territory. Yep. Yep, it, and it's a shame, and, and, uh, and I don't want to get political on uh, that, yeah, but the yeah. actions of these idiots on campus, and it's just awful. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so you got f- five months of being a screw-off. Yeah, basically. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, when you, where were you? Where were you discharged at? Uh, so they sent us back to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. And um, that's where, you know, all, and all, all my buddies uh, who weren't reenlisting either, we were all together. Yeah. So, all, so at the beginning of every day, we'd like go to company formation and all the guys that they were working on, they, they looked at us like a cancer. They did not want our attitudes <laughs> to influence the green guys who were getting ready to deploy again. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we were the only ones with combat leadership. So they, they needed us in a sense. So they would, they would probe us for information, but they wouldn't, they didn't, it didn't seem like they wanted us, uh, mixing it up with their guys too much. So they told us to go away. Mm-hmm. They're like, you, we don't care what you do. Just stay away. Okay. <laughs> so we, we'd go out in town. I had, I had buddies that lived off base, so I'd hop on my motorcycle and I'd, Basically, just go ride every day. So, are you still in touch with everybody, or most of them? A good handful. Yeah, handful. Yeah. Yeah. Social media has been great for that. Yeah, you know, I'm we, still you can, in touch with guys from 1961. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And well, there's a bond. There's always that bond. It's. Uh, I was hoping you were going to bring that up. There, there is definitely a bond that generated with guys that you go to war with that can't be replicated in any yeah. other facet of society. That's fact. Yeah, and and. It, it's different than grade school, high school, college. It's totally different. Yeah. It's and and uh, I think people that haven't been in the military don't realize how you know because you know twenty four seven you're living with people and interacting with them. And then my case, there was no war going on. I was before Vietnam, but. Right. Uh, uh, you know, I was an MP and a jockstrap, so <laughs> <laughs> played played baseball three months a year, uh, two years in the canal zone, and uh, yeah. played MP the rest of the time. So, uh, okay, so when you came out, uh, four years in, mm-hmm. you go as a young kid, you come out as a reasonable adult. How much of a change was it for you? Well, looking at yourself going in and coming out. I feel like it's a mix, a mischaracterization to say that I was a reasonable adult when I came out because you still have to understand that like one, I'm what, 23. Yeah. So you're still a kid, you know, but at that, at that time, no matter, no matter your, you don't, you don't feel like one, mm-hmm. you know, you don't feel like a kid, but, but you are, and you've got all this steam to blow off, you know, like you just, we, we had basically the equivalent of like three um, fairly hectic combat tours in a short amount of time. And there's, you know, there's guys now in hindsight that the war on terror went on for 20 years that mm-hmm. had, you know, 14, 16 combat deployments under their belt, which is why we have the epidemic of uh, veteran problems that we have now. Right. Um, so, yeah, when I when I got out, I had a lot of pent up frustration and anger and uh probably a little bit of paranoia you know it was it was hard coming back and seeing how quiet it was now that your buddies aren't there anymore like all these guys that had your back over the last four years like 
you know, you're, you're on your own now and it's, it's time to figure out what you're going to do next. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to move on from that chapter, um, into one, like, it feels like starting over, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I felt like we operated at a very high level when I was in the Marine Corps, I got to do things as a young kid that, you know, most people don't get to do in their life. Yeah. And it's hard to even find a, a job that's equivalent to that. you unless, you know, you got to go and play the civilian game. Now you got to go get a degree. You can't just be like, well, I, I did these things in the Marine Corps. I know that I'm capable and qualified to do some of these things. But in the civilian world, you know, you got to have the paperwork to go with it yeah. and the accreditations. Yeah. Um, so how, how long did it take you to become a reasonable young adult? <laughs> a few years. <laughs> probably, probably a few years. I, I had a lot of I had a lot of good mentors when I got out. Um, you know, my my stepdad um, gave me a job and uh, gave me something to do. And I had I've had a lot of I've had a lot of different jobs mm-hmm. since I've been in the Marine Corps, just trying to find where I fit, what makes me happy, um, you know, and holding my bosses also accountable for like, I have a standard of how I'm going to be treated and I'm not going to let anybody violate those standards. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of, I feel like a lot of people in general can testify that they've worked for some people who have taken advantage of them or Mm -hmm. or they're, they're out there, you know? Um, but I I had a lot of good mentors and guys who like really helped me understand the way the civilian world works because up until that point I had high school and then military, mm-hmm. you know, I hadn't really had a good taste of what civilian adult life looks like yet. Right. And I had a very, um, I guess you could call it a, a biased perspective now that I'm still young and still fairly naive, but I've got all of these life experiences now. And I, I don't like looking back on it now. I don't think I knew what to do with all of those experiences. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to find a place for that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, see, with, with me, when I came out, uh, I, I took a year out of high school before I went in. Yeah. And then uh, when I came out, uh, I, I, well, I know you read my book, I think. That, yeah. 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 So a- anyhow, uh, I was 22, and I came out in February, and that, let's see, that was February of 61, and I got married in June of 62, so then we started having kids, and you grow up in a hurry then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think becoming, a, becoming a parent will make you grow up more than, oh, more than anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, how long, like when you got out, did you, did you live at home for a while or? Yeah, I think I lived at home for maybe a, maybe a year, year and a half Mm -hmm. or so. Um, and then I went and I went and got a place. And by that time I had, I had steady employment, um, working, working for a guy who I really respected. Like things were, things were looking good. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think I was on my way to getting it all figured out Mm -hmm. relatively quickly, but there's a. There's a period of time there where you just you feel kind of lost. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, and the the thing is, my my adjustments were you know not seeing my buddies. Although uh, before we got married, a guy that I was on the service with just for one year because he had already been there a year in the canal zone. I was best man this wedding. Yeah. In, in Wisconsin, and. Uh, but it's such it's such a change, you know. I had all my old buddies, all our old friends, and uh, but it's it's not the same as being with people day and night and doing things together. Yeah, and it, it took a big adjustment, and you know I couldn't sleep on a pillow for two years. Oh, really? No, I I couldn't. I'm so used to. You know, you don't get pillows. Desserts. <laughs> and and I couldn't understand how people could walk and not stand step. <laughs> and I still can't 
stand and if I, my gig line's not straight with a belt. <laughs> so. I, I I still pay attention to stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not like a stickler for it, but it's but it's still in me. Like yeah. I still yeah. Well, I don't try and stand step anymore. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, I, I let a lot of that go. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, uh, I I think probably military experience for me and being on an honor flight. I mean. That was one of the best experiences of my life, you know, being on an honor flight. So, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, and what kind of bothers me today, I, when when I was, uh, when we hit a home fort of, you know, good under three and a half months a year. Yeah. And I uh, volunteered at the uh, military reception center. The airport was too small to have a USO, but mm. it was... And boy, these kids that were coming in then, this has been, uh, well, it's been 13, 14 years ago since I did that. Okay. They were, they were really bright. I mean, you know, when I was in, if some guy go for a judge, he was 18 years old, and they say, hey, jail or the army. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously. I mean, we had a few of those. Did you really? Yeah. Oh. I remember a guy, a, a guy in boot camp, he was a ruffian, I think he was from Oakland or something, and he, um, I th- I remember him telling me like a judge told me I could I could do this or go to jail. And he's like, so I did this. And I was like, awesome. Glad you're here, buddy. Well, and that changes people too. He probably he that's probably, better reform than sending somebody to jail. Let them yeah. Let them go make something of themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. And uh, you know, and some of the training you get. And today, uh, I'm surprised that like BHS has got. One guy joined the service this year. Yeah, it's different times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I graduated, I think there were maybe five of us. Yeah, five or six. Five or six. Yeah. So the military is not a popular place to go right now. I think they're really struggling with uh, recruiting numbers, which I can can understand. I think a lot of them are not going because of leadership. Because of what? Leadership. I mean, Um, some some of the stuff you... Read about some of these idiots in Washington, and 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 actually some of the generals today are just well, they wouldn't exist in my time. I know that a lot of the good leadership um, has been pushed out. Yeah, you know, and I think anybody that's anybody that's paying attention, like these kids, would see that like I wouldn't I wouldn't join the military right now. I, it's not that I think it's a bad place to be. I I like, obviously, the idea of it. Mm-hmm. But you have to have the right leadership, as you said, to yeah. to back it up and and make it what it's supposed to be. And if that element doesn't exist, and you know, and we just watched uh, our government perpetuate a twenty year war, and then both of them end catastrophically, yeah, and disgustingly. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not signing up for that. I'm not going to be part of what it is that you're trying to do because I don't agree with it. Yeah. Yep. We have to have, we have to have military to defend the country. And it wouldn't surprise me if the draft came back. If we had the next big one, I think it's going to have to. No, all it'll have to. Yeah. I'm obvious. It, I, well, it, 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 depends, it depends. You know, if we, if we had like, and <laughs> depending on who you listen to, and what conspiracy theories you subscribe to, there are elements that say the next big one's coming, you know, like the next big attack on America. You know, how many potential sleeper cells do we have in this country right now because of our open border policies? If we got hit with another 9-11 style attack, would that would that be enough to to rally people and to go on to, to fight for a nation or would I, people? I, I this, think I think so. Do you think people would be like, well, you you allowed this to happen? Yeah, so. I I think I think they would. But uh, you know, the one thing about our country, you got you know, fifty percent of the homeowners have one or more guns, so there will never be anyone on our soil. That's I don't, no, it. I don't think we'd ever be looking at a like a big invasion no it no. could never happen here no so it's, but you know it, it's uh uh and and at my age uh i'm off the i, I watch local news i read 
digitally, I'll read Fox. I can't stand listening to them anymore. They're all the same. And, yeah. and the media is all the same. They're all, uh, you know, you, you don't know who to believe. And uh, it's, it's hard to get good information. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to know what's legit, what's, and, what's really happening, what's being spun. Where, and, where's the truth? Yeah. And, yeah. It's and, hard to you know. know. With this simpleton and people in Washington, oh. this, you got a guy with dementia who's always been corrupt it's <laughs> it's, it's running the, the country oh i yeah we're i feel like we're dealing with i mean it can always get worse but we're yeah. kind of in the middle of a worst case scenario yeah. right now yeah well it's and hopefully it doesn't take any kind of uh war action i i when i was just rattling rattling off a couple of this you know, casualties and more. Yeah. I mean, there are so many goofy wars that we've been involved in. I mean, some I've never heard. The first battery war, 1801 <laughs> to 1805. What the hell is that all about? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's... Yeah, uh, and I, I mean, it goes on. There's pages of it. And there, you know, like 45 casualties or something. But... Mm. I, I mean, when you little look conflicts at, here and there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, jeez, uh, uh, the Civil War basically lost two and a half percent of the population. Yeah, uh, and you were saying before we started that was the biggest one. Yeah, that's where we lost the most casualty. Yeah, yeah. But and the World War Two, the population expanded so much it it wasn't like two and a half percent; it was less than one percent. Yeah. So. It, but it's still, you know, I mean, stop and think about uh, just, you know, you, you take in Vietnam, for instance, you, you're taking a, a medium-sized city just wiped out, mm -hmm. basically. And and uh, I know when people read it in the paper, they glance at or they're looking at Hamas and Israel until... And they they kind of show little bits and pieces, but they don't show the real horrendous things in the war. And and for anyone to take the side of Hamas, I mean, they're an imbecile. I mean, what the hell? How could anybody? Why does anybody care if a Jew is a Jew? I mean, it's just stupid. Yeah, I don't. I have I have an opinion on it. Um, I don't know if I've developed that opinion enough to share it here with you. It's yeah. such a, I, I'll tell you what, I, I did not anticipate this becoming such a dangerous conversation or, or not dangerous. Cause I don't really care what yeah. anybody thinks. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? Can't yeah. cancel me. I'm, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I don't care. I, uh, cause I'm, I'm nobody who gives a shit, but I didn't, I didn't think we were going to be so divided on this one. You know, when I, when I watched, was it October 6th or 7th, yeah. what, whatever the, they're calling that now. Um, when I, when I watched that happen, like the, the day after it happened, I'm like, well, uh, they've got everything coming to them that is coming. Absolutely. And, and then the conversation started to become more about what Israel had uh, done to the Palestinians over the years. I was like, well, yeah, they haven't been the best actors either, but when you attack on a scale like that and you murder, rape, and kidnap innocent civilians, you've lost the moral high ground. Yeah. Okay, so if you're if you're battling an enemy who is occupying you, let's say, and is treating you unfairly, which the Israelis historically, in my opinion, have done to the Palestinians, then you need to take a different approach in combating that. But when you, you know, if, if somebody comes at you with a bat and then you shoot them in the face, yeah, you know, it's not that you weren't justified, but the, yeah. the, the, the balance of power is not exactly equal. Right. But, you know, know when you get into sense. the atrocities, I, I mean, nothing can justify that. 
you know, when you're yeah, sorry, I, I just don't have any yeah. uh, sympathy yeah. for Hamas at yeah, all. Yeah. Like, the, I, I wish the best for the Palestinian people, yeah. but don't tell me that you guys weren't aware that this buildup was happening. You know, whether oh, whether sure. you could have done anything about it or yeah. not. Well, you know, it gets back to the time when uh, when the, they actually took a Israel away from England. <laughs> you know, as far as uh, being an being an occupier and. And they've been mistreated from World War II. For, you know, just there's always been some kind of a resentment to Jews from, for, which to me was always unjustified. And I mean, yeah. the mass killings. And, and uh, there's a lot of history there. I'm not, I, admittedly, I'm not up to speed on all of it. There's a, uh, there's a good podcast out there done by, you know, Jocko Willink. No, you never heard of Jocko? No, I'll, I'll send you a link to him. Yeah. I guess him and him and another guy—I can't remember his name—but they've got like a, I think it's like twenty-five hours of basically like the history of Israel, mm-hmm. and it, it'll it'll like totally take you to school on what has happened over the last hundred years or so. Yeah. Um, I need to listen to that probably. Yeah, that's a big commitment. Yeah, but, yeah, but I I don't I don't understand anything past. Uh, recent history because no. I just haven't really, you know, dug into it until yeah. now we have this global conflict on our hands. Yeah. Well, I know that, uh, you know, it's just like <clears throat> the, the, the Brits treated the Jews terrible before they, they, they started their little guerrilla contact, little guerrilla combat against British and then eventually drove them out. They left. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've I've always, you know, I've always been on the side of Israel. But everyone, you know, gov- government leaders create wars. It's not the people; it's the government leaders. And uh, by and large, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. probably true. I mean, I Iran was the driving force behind. What happened without without Iran's involvement? We wouldn't oh, have, we wouldn't have had the attack from Hamas. Absolutely. So and, we're we're building to something bigger than this. I well, think it's going to have to be handled. Yeah, eventually Iran's going to have to come under attack from us, well, not from Israel. I think the I think the minute that we're positive that they've developed uh, the capabilities for a nuclear weapon is going to be the moment. Yeah, and that's that's not going to be like. Oh, Saddam Hussein's not letting inspectors in. Like, it's not going to be that kind of war. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's going to be pretty ugly. Yeah. and I think we should do everything we can to avoid that. Yeah, stop it. And yeah, and and eventually we will. But anyway, uh, well, we should have a good, good little talk, and this is our yeah. first yeah. segment. Um, any, I think your uh, did the furnace kick on? Yes, it that? did. Gotcha. That's, yeah, there you so, go. and they're listening to this on a podcast. It's uh, I hit it down to sixty-two, so it must be below sixty-two, and it kicks now, on. Now there you go. These omnidirectional microphones, when they're set right, mm-hmm. they'll pick up anything. Yeah. So, but a- anyway, <laughs> um, any parting words for? Uh, we I feel like we covered a lot. Yeah, I, I think so. I don't think so. I mean, there's there's a lot to say. Uh, about about the topic and I and I think that between myself and everybody else you talk to I feel like you're going to have a, a pretty comprehensive take on um, on that subject okay. so yeah. uh, one one question my uh, uh, future guest Fred Helm who wrote a book mm-hmm. what do you think of the book I haven't got a chance to read it yet oh okay yeah I've, okay. I've just I've been so busy I've got I've got the copy of it he gave me a copy um, and I asked for it I want to read it um so yeah, I don't have a review, a review for okay. you yet. My, what the way I got on to him is my one granddaughter's boyfriend, Fred, is his grandpa. Oh okay. So uh, it it should be interesting and. Uh, I I've heard good things about it. Yeah. 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 So, and he's he's you know I talked to him on the phone for. 15, 20 minutes. Seems like a nice guy. He's a nice guy. I, I only met him once, but I think in the 10 or 15 minutes I talked to him, it's like, he's straight up, dude. Yeah. Yeah. As, as long as I can, you know, the one 
One problem you have with anybody who writes a book, not not me because I'm a hack. I mean, <laughs> my my two books, but but a buddy of mine who just published his tenth book. When I had him on one time, and I said, "Let's talk about your early life." Well, he had it scripted. Oh yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't prepare. Do I just talk and and. One guy mentioned after, he said about the first five minutes, he said I was about ready to give up on him because I don't want to listen to somebody who was addressing an audience at a book signing. Mm. And, uh, but then once he got through that part, then he was really good. Yeah. So I, I just hope Fred doesn't bring a bunch of notes because I'm going to ask him to put them aside and we're just going to talk. I, I doubt he will. I, I don't I don't actually know, yeah. but I think that's a better approach. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I interview a lot of people for work, and I've always found like, you know, if, if you have some notes, that's fine. I would rather you just make an outline. Don't don't yep. write down what it is you want to say verbatim. Just put a bullet point list yeah. that is going to keep help keep you on track. But I want our conversation to be genuine, yeah. and I don't want you to just read off your list. Uh, at me and at the audience, you know, let's right. let's keep it real. Well, I so thought of making an outline, but I never have. Outlines are <laughs> outlines are good. I I use them, um, but but I keep them very sparse. Yeah. Like seriously, just a bullet point list. Yeah. And that's just to keep it on topic, because inevitably, you know, like I didn't anticipate talking about you know Israel today. I, I yeah. didn't really have anything yeah. Yeah. prepared for that, but had we had a bullet point list like if there are certain things that we're wanting to avoid like hey we definitely want to keep it aimed at one thing um that's what that's that's the only thing that yeah. uh, the bullet point but I, th I think that's important talk about that today. let it let it go where it's going to go yeah i mean yeah. It, it definitely ties into the conversation and uh and i feel like nobody has a better perspective on war than the veteran populace absolutely you know if you're going to get anybody's take on something let's start with the guys who've been there, been there and understand it and understand that hey let's not let's not be so quick to jump into the next thing because the last time we did that we were there for 20 years yeah we spent a lot of money we lost a lot of people yep. it was not managed very well at all and the only i think the only people who benefited benefited from the war on terror were the contractors yeah there was yeah. so much Big money time. made yeah, yeah. yeah. military industrial complex wet dream yeah is what I think that amounted to. And and, we, we and have not, nothing to show for it. Yeah, and, and they don't pay tax on them while they're over there. Uh, yeah, any any money made overseas. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, I have friends who made uh, made their fortune uh, contracting, you know. Well, you know, fellow Marine Reed Meyer, when, uh, he was thinking about going in as a, back as a contractor over there because of the money. But yeah. he never did it. So. I, I got offered a few jobs. I I was just done with it at that point. It's like it's not it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's call this a day. All right. And uh, I know you're busy and I'm busy, and uh, let's go out with the national anthem. Thanks, Larry. Okay. Okay. Thank. Thanks for being here, Walt. We had a good time today. It's been very informative. I hope. Everyone in the audience really enjoys this segment because uh, we're going to have a lot of veterans on there, and I'll, and I'll put my Cold War two cents worth in sometime along the way, but it, it'll be quite late in the game. And uh, again, Walt's been a real pleasure. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. And I'll talk to you on the next podcast.